Big Finish for the love of stories. You're listening to the Big Finish podcast. Release date Sunday, the 5th of February, 2023. What are you doing in here? I was about to ask you the same question. It's not every day the TARDIS detects a freak manipulation of electromagnetic radiation from a junk shop. Junk shop? Thank you for joining us. I'm Benji Clifford, he's Nick Briggs, and this is Big Finish. Audiobooks, audio drama, and this podcast, all for the love of stories. In a moment, Benji and I will be chatting about haircuts in the TARDIS. Then after that, in the Good Review Guide, known to some as the Good Review Guy, we're reviewing the reviews of Doctor Who Peladon. Welcome, my friends, to Peladon. Then we go behind the scenes with Ninth Doctor Christopher Eccleston in this week's terrifying release, <gasps> Shades of Fear, The Colour of Terror, by Lizzie Hopley, out this Wednesday, the 8th of February. February. He's not serious. Collar's corner, yeah. Following that, we once again delve into listeners' emails sent to podcast at bigfinish.com. Fun times ahead. Ha <laughs> ha. In our also available segment this week, we delve back into the Ninth Doctor's Shades of Fear with The Red Darkness, another chilling episode, this time by Roy Gill. I'm Roy Gill, and I'm the writer of this episode, Red Darkness. Then the randomoid Selectatron will once again be delivering a mystery release with a 25% discount deftly attached to it by Big Finish content manager Jaggy Emery. At this stage of the podcast, we seriously just don't know what it is, but I can fix that by editing a clip in just about here. Well, it was pretty evident, of course, that he'd been chased by something. God, it's magic, isn't it? <laughs> Well, finally, as you've come to expect, we round off the podcast with a free 15 minutes drama tease. And this week, it's The Colour of Terror by Lizzie Hopley, out this Wednesday, the 8th of February. Ginger! I'd stop there, Pete. It's because we're all in here at once. He's terrified. Ginny, gin, gin. Just how ginger is ginger? Well, quite dark in places. Tawny, a bit, um, russet. Right. Have you ever noticed that when Sarah Jane Smith goes into the TARDIS with the third Doctor at the end of the Time Warrior, 1974, uh, she has quite long hair, but then uh, when she steps out of the TARDIS in the very next story, Invasion of the Dinosaurs, although episode one is called Invasion, her hair is noticeably shorter. Have you ever noticed that? Do you know what? I think I would have noticed it, but it's certainly not a fact I carry around with me at that you know that close to my heart but i can imagine that would be the case and a it's also a- shorter on in the film stuff than it is in the studio stuff it's not that pronounced the difference but it is definitely longer by the time she got to the studio sessions for invasion of the dinosaurs i think you get a lot of that with john pertwee's hair as well sometimes it's bigger in in you know studio scenes and then not quite as big outside of course you've got the the classic joe grant uh, <laughs> hair change of planet the daleks uh, in there is it but i suppose it's you know it's the 70s isn't it and and what's that got to think, do with it <laughs> well I, I often think I, I often think in the 70s that studio and film stuff because obviously the logistics and whenever yes. they were scheduled and things like that but people often look really different on the film inserts than they do it was for, weeks earlier wasn't it so yeah so people's hair is shorter and and you know sometimes they're noticeably skinnier um 
The Very different strange. people. That would be brilliant. Yeah, sometimes. <laughs> John Pertwee was paid by Arthur Lowe, um, but, um, which well, I would pay I... to see. What? Sorry. What did you say? I said I'd pay to see them. Oh, I see. Yes. Arthur Lowe with a John Pertwee wig on. Now they're in Daleks. It's interesting. It's like in those old ITC, Incorporated Television Company programs, like, you know, Randall and Hopkirk and the Saints and the Champions, when the people were on location, even though the whole thing was shot on film, so there was a consistency of picture quality, when people were on location, they were often played by stand-ins. Yeah, they? that would make perfect sense, yeah. Because well, they, they were too busy filming back at the studio, so they'd send a second unit on location at the same time. So it was cheaper. To so get a lot them. of dodgy shoulders. Yeah, well, you, I mean, I, <laughs> who was it who was saying that whoever was their standard? I think it was um, William Gaunt said about he played Richard uh, in um, what was his surname in The Champions? Richard, 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 oh. the Lionheart. <laughs> I want to say Basehart, but that's an actor. But he said that the guy who Richard was his, Barrett, Rich, Richard Barrett, uh, Richard that was of Barrett Holmes <laughs> in the house, in the um, house. Oh, I wonder whether um, the Barrett Holmes voice chap, um, Patrick Allen, was in The Champions ever, I wonder. That's um, a good question. But, yeah, William Gaunt says in an interview on one of the DVD extras of The Champions that the guy who played his standing on location had a big bum. <laughs> he said he always really annoyed him, seeing the bits that were meant to be him with a much bigger bottom. How funny. Well, you, I suppose you would notice things like that, wouldn't you? Think, oh, that's not quite my bottom. Um, Patrick Allen was indeed in it. He played Paul Westerman. Uh, Paul, we I'm Paul Westerman. What, what um, episode was that? I'll see if I can remember. Full Circle. Full Circle by Andrew Smith. No, sorry, wrong. <laughs> British agent Paul Westerman is reprimanded in prison on suspicion of a stolen microfilm, which is pretty much exactly what you'd expect from the, the sort of late 60s. Are you sure it's 70s. reprimanded and not remanded? It is remanded, you're right. I just misread. I was, I was, I was enjoying the voice too much. <laughs> reprimanded. Imagine, I think a lot of people get reprimanded in prison. Oh, now listen here, you. <laughs> I've had enough of your nonsense. <laughs> you're a very bad man, which is why you're in prison. Um, now, now buck up your ideas and I remember and, that episode. Things. I do remember that episode. Yeah, he's he's yeah. This I mean, Patrick Allen has been in so many things. Yes, you know, I'm looking at his IMDb now. Yeah, and it's it's vast. It's you know his his first job ever was an uh, was an undetermined role in Blackbeard the Pirate. <laughs> undetermined. What do you That's play? What, what, what are you doing at the moment? Well, I'm in the house in an undetermined role. <laughs> <laughs> He's been in S Samson and Delilah, um, which I've never heard of. Well, International detective, t tall man, wasn't he? You know what I mean? A very castable. Oh, a, a fantastic jaw. Yes. Brilliant jaw, really good jaw. But of course, it's the voice, you know. He's just uh, he's he's got that voice. He was in Bullet to Beijing, that um, that Harry Palmer film. Oh yes, yeah, Harry one of Palmer, the sequels. One of the sequels, which was not as good as the no. original. Not as no, good. they weren't as good. No, that's we're pretending to do Michael Caine voices for those not of you who lot, don't know what's happened. Not a lot of know that. <laughs> of course, the greatest role he ever did was thirteen episodes in Roland the Rat, um, as the announcer. <laughs> Yay! <laughs> Imagine going. Out. He went. He went from Roman the Rat, and then a couple of roles later, he was the narrator in Jack the Ripper. Good lord! Uh, you know there was no. A, 
I mean, there's a chap who's kind of who does a Patrick Allen voice. He's become the most famous voiceover artist in Britain. I can't remember his name, but you know the guy. Oh, of course I know the guy. Um, what is his name? It's going to bug me now, but yeah. he is the voice man, isn't he? He is, and he does that kind of voice. It's it's almost exactly like Patrick Allen, but he's really made it his own. It's sort of a bit similar to me taking over the Dalek voice. Is, it, isn't is he it, the one really? that does the X Factor? Yes. Uh, Peter Dixon, isn't Peter it? Dixon, that's right. Peter Dixon, I have met does, him yeah. very, very briefly once. Um, yeah. That's for, pretty, for imagine though, being that guy. Man. Imagine like just being known as, oh, he's the guy that does all the voices and everything. Yeah, yeah. Well, you, you know, know um, Peter Hawkins, the original Dalek voice, was a bit like that. Back in but the he day. was more of a character voice man, wasn't he? Like That's you, you would true. see him in a lot of a lot of sort of cartoons and television. If any if anything needed a monster or a voiceover, you'd get him in, wouldn't you? Absolutely. And his work in Captain Pugwash is outstanding. <laughs> <laughs> and of course Jerry Anderson. You know, all the all the voices that he he did. I don't think that. Peter Hawkins did any Jerry Anderson at all. I that thought was, he that did. That was David really, Graham. The David other Graham, voice. I'm thinking of. Yes, yeah. you're right. You are right. Yeah. And I discovered yesterday, chatting to Gavin Rymel, who does, you know, that Terry Nation's Dalek Army. Fantastic. It's yeah. amazing, yeah. isn't it? That David Graham's Dalek voices were always pre-recorded, whereas Peter Hawkins mostly did them on set. And I would, so I just re-watched a bit of the Dalek Invasion of Earth from 1964, for those of you not uh, schooled in these amazing facts. And, and I listened to the Dalek voices, which on the Blu-ray have been slightly remodulated to make them sound better, which they do slightly. Uh, and you can... Gen- sin. Abs- I, that's a sin. It's a sin for me. What? Carry on. Oh, is it okay. to remodulate them? Yeah. Well, no, they do sound no. better, and you don't notice that they're remodulated until you flip back to the original and realise there was virtually no modulation There's at nothing all on them. Yeah, yeah. Um, I mean, I say realise. I kind of knew that, and you. But anyway, look, I'm digressing. The thing is that you can actually tell that David Graham's voices are pre-recorded because they are of a slightly inferior audio quality, and they're wow. being played in from quarter-inch tape. Whereas Peter Hawkins' voice sounds live and louder because of course he was on set because there's that famous photograph of him on the set of the Dalek invasion of earth holding a script and all the Daleks around him um so it's interesting so they, they were playing they were actually playing in the voices that must have been well I think on the very first Dalek episode stories they they the voices were all pre-recorded I think Correct me if I'm wrong. Wow. So me in uh, Adventure in Space and Time playing Peter Hawkins, which coincidentally I just posted a picture of myself on social media this morning. Yes, I saw. Uh, yes. Just for the hell of it, because Gavin sent me that picture and said, you probably already have this. I said, no, I don't. I'm, I'm going to put it on social media. Um, uh, you know, they had me on the set doing the voice of the Daleks in the very first Dalek scene. And when they so asked actually, me, you wouldn't have been there. No, exactly. When they asked me to do it, I, I didn't bother telling them that. Because I thought I might not get to be in it, you know. Yeah, that's fair enough. But there's but also, so much it, in it, that it, that's not historically accurate. I, d- I think we can overlook that as well. But it serves to, to illustrate a point, doesn't it, of, of how the voices were done? Like mm. it's, it's it serves its purpose really well. Um, but I yeah, I didn't know that that in the case that that they I knew that some obviously in the early ones some of the voices were, or I didn't know they were all pre-recorded mm. in that one. But that is so interesting. Well, it is to but, us, Benji, but you've got to ask yourself whether it's interesting to anyone else on Earth. 
Well, this is true. I think it is. I think there's some... Well, Gavin. Gavin finds it interesting. Gavin. Well, we are of one mind. I just want to see what people have said. Tony Lee has asked me if I'm replacing Matthew McFadden in succession. Is that who I look like? <laughs> That's very flattering. I'm a big fan of Matthew McFadden. Such a fabulous programmer. I I ever tire, tire of watching it. I think he means never, says Stephen Cranford. Splendid wig acting, says Nick Scoville. <laughs> it's a good wig. It, it, I would say uh, it's it good, a isn't it? Good, it bears a good close wig. examination. Jonathan Morris says, takes years off you. Well, it was years ago <laughs> anyway. Miles Richardson says, it's Shaw Taylor. <laughs> does look a bit... He was a famous presenter, wasn't he, who used to say, keep them peeled. Do you remember that? Keep, yeah, keep them peeled, keep yeah. Em peeled about sort of crime stoppers or something. Patrick Kern says, keep them peeled. <laughs> and Roddy McDonald says, I don't recognise you. There you are. <laughs> Thank you, Roddy. Put your glasses on, Roddy. <laughs> um, Roddy's already asleep. It's fine. <laughs> <laughs> you should do your... Um, you should do, do a Brian Murphy... And and wear wear a wig, but only but only when you're not acting. So every time you go to do an acting job, you just don't wear the wig. And every time you finish you, and to go home, you put your civvies on and put your wig back on. Is that what Brian used, Murphy used to do? It's what he used to do. Yeah, he's famous he to, for being in George and Mildred, wasn't he? And he certainly was. Yeah, and of course, uh, uh, you know, a famous baldman. Um, in there, you know, started off with a lot more hair than he ended up in that. But yeah, he used to, he used to wear a wig um, later on when he went home. Well, well, it keeps your head warm, doesn't it? I, think I suppose that, it does. It'd be nice if wigs are treated more as you know proper sort of. Um, uh, what's that? You've been watching Nolly, haven't you? Someone asked me. No, I haven't. I love the wig. Someone says. This could be a real turning point, Nick. You could just start wearing a wig. <laughs> Like a, like a sort of Beethoven style. <laughs> well, I'm very keen on hats, but that's so that I yeah, don't get sun yeah. any more sun damage to my poor head. I, I can hear a very small violin playing. Uh, anyway, you get into bandanas like pirates. You could be you could be a sort of Captain Pugwash style man. You get a lot of them down here in, in near Hastings. A lot of people dress as pirates for everyday life. Gosh, when I um wrote down that we'd talk about Sarah Jane Smith's haircut. I never knew that it would go this way. Well, can I, can I shock you further? <laughs> I'm getting a haircut today. <laughs> that there was we me go. being shocked. Yeah, also, it, it, here's a very boring ageing fact. I'm starting to get a few grey hairs in my beard now, which is, which oh, is slightly wow. worrying. But but I, I sort of don't mind, because... Well, you've got, because well I suppose every you time could I, dye it. You're at the stage where you could dye it now. I wouldn't want to. Okay. No, I want I want to go full Roger Delgado. Yeah. I'm just I'm hoping that it goes a bit badger. I want to have a badger. That's what stripes, happens to start know. with. But my, I mean, I was reminded. I started watching a thing called Doctor Who Am I on BritBox, which yes, is Matthew yes. Jacobs, the writer of which the, is meant to be incredible. It's not. Um, anyway. <laughs> It's quite dull. But anyway, I'm in it. And I remember I was at a Gallifrey convention in LA years ago and they came up to me and said, would you be in this documentary about the Doctor Who movie? Because it's being made by the writer. And I'm, be, I'm being such a so-and-so because uh, they, they're asking me whether I like it or not. And I go, well, uh, uh, I said, I'm, 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 they say, it's all right if you don't. You can say if you don't. And I said, well, I'm aware that the writer is within earshot as I speak. I think the nicest thing I said was, I recognise it as Doctor Who. <laughs> wow. That's, uh, that's 
quite scathing. But quite I was quite shaken comment. by how how less grey my beard was, or less white. My beard's almost completely white now, but how less white it was in those days. And I had a moment of a pang for, you know, youth. Like, yeah, although it's not youth at all. I'm still clearly an old fart, but um, not it's a, it's quite a as weird old thing. as I am now. Aging. It's a it's a strange thing. I mean, I'm so, I'm so, I'm really at the early stages. Like I've only got like one or two hairs, and you know, it's not. I'm, I'm prepared for the fact that suddenly I'll just end up looking like a badger. You know, but um, at the moment it's fine. But that's that's. I hope you won't be sort of you know dead on the roadside like a badger. No, I won't. I won't be that. I'll see a lot I'll, of that. I, yeah, you do. You do. No, I'm, I'm more. I'm 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 not heading that way. They're quite um, miserable, aren't they, badgers? Yeah, well, you'd be miserable if you were dead on the roadside. Well, well, I wouldn't know much about it, would I? Um, but they are, um, yeah, apparently they're sort of quite aggressive. They look beautiful and sort of quite striking. Carry TB, they? I know that. They, they do, Thunderbirds. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> but I, they it's a little <laughs> Scott on their back. Um, <laughs> I like badgers. I've got, I've got a lot of time for badgers. I don't, it's weasels and stoats I don't like. Don't trust them. Like snakes, I can't stand snakes. Don't trust them. Really? I've never can't had a reason. conversation with a snake. No. Cannot reason with a tiger. But you can't reason with a snake, you know. In I'm, my opinion, it could be proven wrong. With regard to badgers, I was very proud to get the brigadier using the word badger. Uh, I Great think, work. Yeah. When the doctor talks about someone culling the human race, he said, you mean like they do to badgers? <laughs> uh, and I think he says badger, he might say badger in um, kaleidoscope as well. Uh, do we um, ever do we ever get a John Pertwee actual John Pertwee telling somebody to stop badgering him? Oh. I feel like that's something he would say, isn't it? Yeah. For heaven's sake, stop badgering me. Badger. I love the one was it would you stop wittering on is a fantastic one, he said. For heaven's sake, stop wittering on. Who's he I say love that, that to? I think he said he might actually say it to Joe. <gasps> stop wittering on. I think he's I I'm pretty sure he says it. Well, a lot of people think that the third Doctor was a bit arrogant, don't they? I never see it that way, but younger people often say, oh, yes, he was very arrogant, wasn't he? I think, was he? I thought he was quite sort of kind and jocular. I think I think there. Are, this is a great discussion. I think there is a pang of arrogance there, but the arrogance is there for a reason. And it's not because it's not necessarily because he's an arrogant person. It's because he's stuck. He's stuck on Earth, surrounded by people that don't know as much as he knows. And so he has got that level of, well, I know all this stuff. I know it all. I can but figure this out. he's not unpleasant out. about it, is he? No, he's not nasty. He's not like, you know, he's not like, shut up, you know nothing. Go and make me a cup of tea. He's much nicer. And actually, you it's know... It's more long-suffering, isn't it? It's that kind of... It's, oh. it's a long... Yeah, it's, it's a frustration. Yeah. It's a frustration, you know, for heaven's sake, why am I stuck in this place when I could sort this out? But then he has a, you know, because obviously Joe comes in, and is is you know cluttering around and making all kinds of mistakes, but he sees something in her that he likes, and and he trusts her, and it and it ends up you know they end up having that fantastic relationship, and it's so it's so dear to me that whole time in Doctor Who. Mm. Um, what was it? Somebody, a friend of mine has has been watching all Doctor Who. He's calling it Doctor Who the long way round, <laughs> and um, and he is uh, Stephen Steve. Uh, he put a great comment about because he's just finished the Pertwee stuff, oh, and right. he said, "Because I'm in the um, middle of Invasion of the Dinosaurs at the moment." Get off! <laughs> uh, he says. He says. Uh, um, 
The best thing about the long way round so far has been reconnecting with the Pertwee era. Yeah. Uh, and it's it's very cozy brand of chaos. Yes. Where else can you find a cereal that matches up Avatar, Arachnophobia, and Flowers for Algernon, and throws in a goddamn hovercraft chase for no good reason? <laughs> all things must come to an end, however, all, thin, all things must begin again. So hello, Mr. Baker, and all praise the Great One. Oh! Um, but I thought that's a nice thing because it's it is sort of it's a cozy brand of chaos. I think that's yeah. a wonderful way of putting that whole time in Doctor Who. Yes, there's a lovely bit in the Invasion of the Dinosaurs where the Doctor uh, is trying to make his stun gun, and everyone keeps bothering him. And <laughs> Sarah's just annoyed him. She goes out, and he just goes across to get some more equipment. Then you see, he thinks, "I'll just lock that door so no one can come in and disturb me." So he locks the door, and just as he's locked it. The Brigadier comes in through the other door, <laughs> and the scene just ends with the Doctor holding his hands on his head, going <laughs> into the camera. It's really you funny. see. I could could I could imagine that would be a Pertwee sort of bit of writing on the spot there. That seemed, do you know what I mean? Yes. That seems like the type of thing you'd say, oh, wouldn't it be funny if we did that, you know, because I, I think could you're see right. that. I can't imagine that being in the script, actually. Because hmm. I do think when you watch it, I do think there are a bits like, well, like happens in everything, but you can see bits of his humour have definitely bled through into that. And you can see that as well with like the Wurzel Gummidge. Once you... Once you kind of, and if you listen to like the Navy Lark, once you kind of yes. get his level of comedy, it's suddenly wor- it's like you know the Green Death when he dresses up as the the um, the cleaning lady. Yes, yes. It's like and the milkman was, as well. And the, and the milkman like that was hundred percent. That was if if not obviously it was scripted, but hundred percent that was written for him. Oh yeah, that like, would have been Terence Dick saying, "Let's have a bit of that nonsense in there." Yeah, that's hundred percent. That's him all over, just like with the Tom Baker stuff. You know the scripts started out they started out relatively restrained and you can see that that tom just injects his personality into it and so then later on when you get to the kind of douglas adams stuff it's absolutely bonkers because it's just become absolutely bonkers yeah it's 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 a really interesting i like your friend steve mentioning the sort of pointless hover cart chase in uh, planet (laughs) of the spiders because in invasion of the dinosaurs there's another pointless chase because they they just sort of they frame the doctor for creating the dinosaurs don't they and then they they and he escapes and so there's a whole long sequence where he just drives off into the countryside and presumably yeah. he drives into the countryside because the only stock footage they've got of a helicopter is of it flying over the countryside. <laughs> so it's clearly stock footage because it's it's like 35 millimeter quality film, whereas <laughs> they're sh- they're shooting their chase on 16 millimeter. And the doctor drives around in a forest, hides, runs around. Cy Town, one of the famous extras from Doctor Who, who also played Daleks, does a bit where he sort of sneaks off and has a cigarette as a soldier, you know. <laughs> where he looks like he's lost the use of his legs properly as well when he's sort of scooting down a um a, a slope uh, and then the and then the doctor just drives off and leaves and, and that's right and the doctor <laughs> nicks um nicks a land rover and gets on the radio and goes oh yeah they found him yeah yeah no problem does his <laughs> all sort of silly voice you imagine uh, the person in the helicopter saying i'm sorry but nobody actually ever speaks like that can you confirm who you are <laughs> I think it might be somebody impersonating a, a general voice here. Yeah. It's, 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 I don't believe you for a moment. Of course, in, in um, Ambassadors of Death, you get loads of chases and running around. And even in Spearhead from Space, you get a wheelchair chase. You know, it seems there's definitely... 
<laughs> there's definitely a thing, isn't it? There's definitely a, oh, yes, we, this needs to be more action-packed. Let's just do lots yeah. of chases, yeah. We should do yeah. it on audio more, shouldn't we? We should just have a whole sequence of running around, no one speaking, just running around and jumping in cars <laughs> and lots of exciting I would, I would music. tell you what, though, I would love to do... It'd be really hard because these things are just really difficult to do. I would, would love to do a car chase in audio, but, like, you know, like in Goldfinger where it's just there's no music in the car chase it's just driving around Shepperton Studios with lots of skidding and oh, gun yeah, noise yeah. I just want to do that I just like to have lots of I think that would be really fun yeah definitely. probably confuse a lot of people um, but I don't think people care as long as I had a, a car chase skid. in Dark Eyes with a taxi uh, a a black cab in London being chased by flying Daleks. You did. Yes, yeah. you did. Yeah. 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 Well, there we go. I mean, when it's a taxi, that's a great opportunity for, for a bit of fun. Yeah. With that. Taxis, well, a few And Alex Mallinson playing the taxi driver going, cool, blimey, and all that kind of stuff. <laughs> There's a bit where the doctor says, take a left, and he says, I can't, it's no entry or something. And the doctor <laughs> says, well, you know, get a ticket or get blown up. You make, you decide. <laughs> They got you know a squadron of flying Daleks after them, and he's going. Oh, I don't, don't want to go down a you know a one way street the wrong way. <laughs> but that's a, that's exactly that's a classic British thing, isn't it? That, that is exactly. It's like you know you you'd be held at gunpoint and you're worried about parking on a double yellow line. You yeah. know, <laughs> yes. like <laughs> I can't park there. Yes. I can't. No, no. There's some things I just won't do, and I won't disobey the law. Well, it all um, but, started with Sarah's hair and it's ended up in uh, parking restrictions. Well, I'd say that's a, a good overall review of <laughs> hair and <laughs> hair anecdotes. Thank you very much. Well, overall we've got alarm. more good reviews here because it's time for the Good Review Guide, finding the latest positive comments about Big Finish Productions to help recommend them. For you. What a segue. Marvellous. And as promised I this tried, week, tried. <laughs> we're looking at Doctor Who Peladon. From Big Finish Productions, Doctor Who Peladon. Welcome, my friends, to Peladon, a proud planet where the eyes of the people are set firmly on the future. See the prophet. See the divinity. See Skarn, the holy man of Peladon. Another miracle! It's no miracle, Harfair! This promises to make the most interesting report I have written in years. Our mountain speaks to us and has done so for centuries. How lovely! Such a visceral part of Peladon Moor! Uh, uh, Ambassador Ribble, we thought you had gone. Our tourist needs to be sure of all potential threats, Your Majesty. The Temple Acolytes will stay with Solana. Good. I'm not missing my chance to meet Alpha Centauri. Go on, game if you are. That's the spirit. <laughs> Fight to be heard. Just as Agador once roared from the forest that stood on this wasteland. You will listen! This was woven from the webs of the last grey spider. And now here it shimmers with the last great seamstress poetry. You are in a hurry, aren't you? Always dashing for haberdashery. I'm the doctor, your new apprentice. I know where you wish me to go. I need you to go into the streets below, round up these creatures, find out who's brought them here. Big finish. 
we love stories. Just go to bigfinish.com and type Peladon, P-E-L-A-D-O-N, into the search pane at the top to find this one. Well, first up, it's of course, he, I mean, he was in Invasion of the Dinosaurs. It's Peter Nolan from blog to who.com. He was the Tyrannosaurus Rex, wasn't he? He was, Rawr! yeah. One of those. He, he wasn't Rawr! that keen on doing it at the time. He's, I think, you know, he'd hoped to be a, a unit soldier, but they said, look, you know, do you want the job? And he said, well, I'm going to have to do it. He said, um, oh, <laughs> they said, you've got the job. They said, oh, brilliant. Well, 10 out of 10 for charisma. Those dinosaur um, noises are uh, terrible, aren't they? Uh, what, what about the pterodactyl that just goes, ah, ah! Actually, <laughs> that mean, was slightly too good. It's I was going like, to say, that was, all, that was almost better. It's almost, it, they're, they're sort of, ah, ah! That's what it's like, ah, isn't it? It's just, ah. I wonder whether it was someone on the set making that noise and it wasn't dubbed in later, because it just sounds like the sound man making that noise with his mouth. Or maybe they didn't have the time. Like maybe they put them in as kind of stand-in things, and then as the seventies was, anyway, they'd say, "Oh, I mean, it's actually quite good, isn't it?" Yeah, I mean, <laughs> we'll just use that. You know, you can always uh, see the Peter look Nolan. on John, John Pertwee's face when he's fighting it off with a broom. Like, has it come to this? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I think I'm. I think I'm going to leave. Um, <laughs> funnily enough, um, it says here, uh, yes. Peter Nolan says, yes. With its mix of almost depressing bleakness, oh. high drama, comedy and intrigue, all wrapped up in such sterling performances from the cast, Doctor Who Peladon is a rare concoction. Um, oh, yes. Uh, but it's one that almost demands a sequel. After all, this can't really be the final end for Peladon, can it? Perhaps it's finally time for the TARDIS to successfully land in the bright future the Doctor envisions. Oh. Uh, we made this network.com. Ben Taylor, who I think is the son of Stephen Taylor, Flight Red 50. Um, of course. Lots of big finished stories have great care taken in their production, but this box set shows it. As well as the very long list of distinguished cast members, Howard Carter's music really gives us the feel of an epic. His score shines during the climax of the truth of Peladon, employing an organ for an immediate sense of scale and grandeur. Meanwhile, the writers have uh, all equally shared the task of establishing Peladon as a tangible, long-lasting society. Outstanding, says Ben Taylor, son of Stephen Taylor, Flight Red 50. Well, cultbox.co.uk, Ian McArdle, son of Ian McArdle, son of Ian McArdle, says script editor Rob Valentine and director Barnaby Kay have fashioned a treat Ooh. full of love for those original Peladon stories and keeping faith with their allegorical themes. Without anything as quite on the nose as the pexit of Peladon. See what you did there? Um, it feels like there's plenty of fertile territory for further visits too. We'd love to hear the Night Doctor promoting a bit of democracy among the masses, for example. And that's, uh, it was five stars. It's um, four blue ones and one half blue, half white one. Is it blue? Is it purple? I'm colourblind, so I don't know. It is blue, uh, but we'd have to ask Nissa McKinnon, um, a faithful listener, to decipher the star rating for us. Uh, Warpedfactor.com Matthew Cressel says, after four episodes it's hard to call Peladon anything but a triumph. Together, they highlight Big Finish's ability to take the existing Doctor Who mythos and expand upon it, offering hints of nostalgia alongside new stories and modern takes on classic themes. And like their predecessors 50 years ago, they also offer up something to say about the here and now alongside telling good SF stories. In short, everything you need for a great Doctor Who storytelling. BigBluePodcast.co.uk Jordan Shortman oh. says, 
With a box set as strong as this, it's perhaps a surprise to learn that I've never liked any of the stories uh, we've had set on the planet in any medium. Wow. That's, that's terrifying. Mm. Um, but I was pleasantly surprised by these four stories, ranging from grand operas to comedy to some dark, dark places. It takes the planet of Peladon and makes it feel fresh again. Let's not forget that in the show, Peladon was an allegory for England joining the EU, uh, the common market it was known then, uh, but all these years later, those allegories still haven't gotten old, and as this set demonstrates, there are still plenty of stories to be told on this world. Uh, for what feels like a standalone release, I'm almost hoping this isn't the end of Peladon in this format. Well, uh, Jordan, not to be confused with Julian Shortman, who still owes me a, a jar of pickled onions, just not delivering <laughs> after the stouts. I mean, I thought pickled so onions... Given up, just I'll, given yeah, up. Yeah, pickled eggs would do, Julian, if you're still listening. Um, it's quite a confession there to say that he hasn't liked any of the Peladon stories. On t- I do, do you know what? I, I, respect, I respect them for, for admitting it. Yeah, I respect fair, them. I mean, I don't agree. I don't agree, but... Yeah. You know, I've, I've, it's, perhaps it's very Peladon to say things like that. You know, I don't agree, but I, I respect your opinion. And do you think Jordan is uh, American? Don't know. Because that's the only excuse for using the word gotten, all right? I know it was originally English, but it's not been in common usage in in. Things Britain. have gotten out of hand. Yes, can't do that, can't do that. Things have got out of hand. Exactly. It's, it's got out of hand. Yes, it is, I know. You don't need to tell me. <laughs> uh, SciFiPulse.net Racer Devereaux says, Doctor Who Peladon didn't disappoint the writer's spun yarns evoking the socially conscious era of the original Peladon tales. 9.7 out of 10. Very precise there. Obviously precise. Uh, counting Alva Centauri's arms. I just, when I see points on, on reviews, mm. I just... There must be... You can't just give a point without there being a specific criteria to... to do you know what I mean? We need it's, a breakdown of this in detail, yeah. some kind of spreadsheet. A mathematical formula. Uh, Glamadelaide.com.au, Ronnie Havatin says, Controlling things from the director's chair is Barnaby Kay, normally in front of the microphone, but now showing his versatility behind it. Mm-hmm. He does a wonderful job of the various locations and casts, whilst Howard Carter's sound and music design is up to his incredibly high standards. Ellipsis. Uh, a glorious <laughs> return to the famed planet Peladon that spans four generations and multiple doctors. It's four stars. It's a swear word. It's there. <laughs> In the Twitter tunnel, Twitter Taylor Division. Is that Stephen Taylor, Flight Red 50? Absolutely <laughs> delighted to in listening to At Big Finish's Peladon after picking it up in a sale. So warm and deliciously varied, already clamouring to go back and listen to it all again. That's nice, isn't it? I've also I've also been going around the house humming Haroon, Haroon, Haroon all week. Help! <laughs> <laughs> the little spinny mirror thing. Um, Alice the Circus says... Clutch or whatever it is, yes. Haroon, Haroon, Haroon. Alice the Circus says Peladon is one of the best box sets ever. So clever, so emotional. Four incredible stories that I'll never shut up about. Hey, shut yes, up, I want, Alice. I want Alice the Circus to tweet this just every single week now. <laughs> what, um, you you know the tune for the Haroon, Haroon, Haroon thing, what the tune is taken from, don't you? 
No, I don't know what it's taken from. Oh, well, John Pertwee uh, just sang it to the tune of uh, uh, God Rest Ye Merry Gentlemen. Rest Ye Merry Gentlemen. Yeah, it sounds like that. Is it God Rest or God Bless? I can't remember. God Rest Ye Merry Gentlemen, I think. Maybe it is God Bless Ye Merry... Ye I'm merry. showing my enormous. God ignorance. rest, God I rest, ye merry gentlemen. Rest. Yes, yes. Yeah, Sorry about English that. Christmas Carol. Very good. Well, I must remember to sing that next year whilst spinning a disc in front of a vicious alien beast. And that's it from the Good Review Guide this week. Next time, we'll be talking about the Third Doctor Adventures. The Annihilators. Ooh. What do you think of that, eh? Yeah, well, I've, I've heard it. I've heard it. <laughs> Pleasant memories of walking walking across a road listening to that. Oh, dear. Yeah, it's a nice road, though. Park Avenue. Still to come on the podcast, listeners' emails sent to podcast at bigfinish.com. Our trip behind the scenes mm. on the Ninth Doctor adventure, The Red Darkness, by Roy Gill. Plus the Randomoids Electrotron as random as ever, giving you a 25% discount on an audio adventure you weren't expecting. Boo! Ooh. But first, staying with the Ninth Doctor theme, let's make our first Ninth Doctor behind-the-scenes dive of the podcast this week. It's The Colour of Terror. I'm Helen Goldwyn, and I am the director of The Colour of Terror. He's not serious. Colours can't hurt you. Can they? Depends. If I'm right, there's a powerful energy source bleeding through your visible spectrum. I've no idea what or how just yet, but it's clearly attracted to the most dominant wavelength. So this one is quite different to the other ones in the set because it's a proper ensemble piece where so many of the cast are in almost every scene. You know, normally when I schedule a directing day, I have people that are in the green room for chunks of time while the other set of characters are doing their storyline. But really, everyone is together so much in this. And that's what makes it feel like it makes it feel like a a new TARDIS team, you know, a new Famalam. It's, it's got quite a specific kind of uh, enclosed vibe about it, which is really quite different and fresh. Hello, I'm Lizzie Hopley and I wrote The Colour of Terror. It came about when I had to pitch some ideas to the wonderful Matt Fitton for Christopher Eccleston and I was so thrilled to be asked to write another one for him because the Lady Macbeth version, that that story was the first one I'd written for Chris when I knew he was coming back to, well, starting with Big Finish, coming back to Doctor Who. So to be asked again meant that something was going right, so that was good. Um, So I pitched a few ideas and in the mix, I decided to put something that challenged me sci-fi-wise, something that wasn't so much based on on character and plot as it was an actual sci-fi concept and that was about the color red it was i decided to go into spectrums and you know use something that i didn't actually understand so in the back of my mind i was thinking please don't choose that one you know (laughs) that one's the one that's really hard and of course matt comes back going really like this one about the color red how's that gonna work i don't know i don't know so i had to do a lot of research on wavelengths it's not every day the tardis detects a freak manipulation of electromagnetic radiation from a Junk shop? Junk shop? This is an award-winning charity retail centre. Is it? It had to be 
done in a charity shop. I don't know, maybe somewhere in my mind I was thinking, where could there be a lot of things that of different colours, but a lot of stuff that was red, all in one location? And I suddenly thought of that, and I thought of a woman who owned it, and Mrs Bevel got born, I suppose. Um, so, yeah, it was one of those things that just arrived in my head rather than me searching for a location. Colour red, wavelengths, charity shop. Christopher Eccleston playing the Doctor. And I'm Frank Skinner playing Pete. Oh, they've got a private one in, have they? I'm sorry? Don't know your face. Don't know your face either, but I'm the Doctor. Oh, like Dr Watson got ya. I'm Pete. Pete Snow. He's an old guy who's lonely, lives on his own, and whose only mate was his ginger cat, which has disappeared. And um, let's face it, I'm sort of slightly fascinated by loneliness. And um, it's still, I think, the L word in a lot of... Uh, you know, it's not mentioned much. And it all seems so solvable if you could get the lonely people together. And I, like, I really like the idea of this kid who's gone a bit wrong and this old guy who was actually quite prejudiced against him at the beginning. And at the end, they've got this sort of mutually helpful relationship going on but I like he definitely starts off as as that sort of stereotypical nosy old bloke who lives down your road and I find that ageism is one of the isms that isn't as policed as well as a lot of the other isms and I think we've all thought that about old neighbours and I like the fact we go inside this old neighbour a bit and find actually there's quite a gotsy and a quite a compassionate bloke in there you know when you go to the theatre and, like, they did that film of War Horse and I thought, don't do a film of War Horse because if you put real horses in War Horse, I don't want to see it anymore. And because I want to do that work for myself. I like an interactive experience. And with the theatre, you do that a lot. And with audio, you do it even more. I listen to Big Finish regularly and... It's great because you can go anywhere and go. No one's saying, "Oh, we can't, we can't afford to build an <laughs> alien spaceship." Because I'll build one in my head, happily, and I like that. I like the fact there's a sort of deal between me and Big Finish. Just put the ideas there, and I'll fill it all in at my end. And, and the actual filling means that no one ever listens to the same Big Finish recording. We've all got our own versions and that makes it very intimate i do a radio show on saturday mornings and the sort of response you get for it people really feel like they're your mate talking to you because there's you know, you're not messed about with makeup and lighting and all that it's just it's just a person talking and so i i'm a big fan of audio i must say well, I mean, obviously we've been extremely lucky because so many people want to work with Chris. <laughs> and uh, when Lizzie said that she had written the role of Pete specifically with Frank Skinner in mind, I thought, well, we've got to have a go, haven't we? We've got to try. <laughs> and then because Frank is a, a Doctor Who fan, he just said yes immediately. Well, pretty much immediately. So that was thrilling. I had asked for Frank Skinner to play Pete because I hadn't intended to write a part for Frank Skinner, to be honest. But as I was writing Pete, he's... It's very weird, but Frank Skinner's voice suddenly... suddenly started to play in my head as I was writing for Pete. And it may be that I've been listening to Absolute Radio, I needed to find somewhere for 
this fictional charity shop to be. I was thinking of a little village and suddenly it became the Midlands and I could hear Frank Skinner. And I knew through his radio show that he was a big, big Finnish fan and listened to the audios. And I'd actually worked with him many years ago with Annette Badland oh, on a short film I wrote called Jam. Look it up on YouTube. He plays a jam judge in a jam competition and brought his own spoon to the filming. And he was an absolute joy. And I couldn't believe, I, I only knew his comedy, not his acting. And I couldn't believe how much he brought to it and how brilliantly inventive he was. Well, of course he is. He's Frank Skinner. So... To have him actually, and this is it, I went, I didn't know they got him. They were like, he's going to be too busy, we'll ask, but it's it's a long shot. Didn't hear anything more. And David Richardson invites me to the recording. I'm like, yeah, I'll hear Chris Eccleston any day of the week. And he says, oh, I'll just send you the cast list. And I open this cast list. Ta-da! So, you know, he did that on purpose. It's basically like offering me the massive present. I was thrilled. Um... Well, I didn't really think about it till after I'd said yes. I actually sent an email to my agent that said yes, 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 no punctuation. Uh, because, um, yeah, I mean, it's, you know, it's, it's brilliant. I, I've, it, this is difficult because Chris is over there. But um, on the occasions I've had um, a, a, like a minute in the script when I haven't been speaking, I've just had a little peep at Chris being the ninth doctor <laughs> and it's pretty exciting viewing it this close up. Thank you. Well, just go to bigfinish.com to find this one. Type Shades of Fear into the search pane at the top to find this great set of Ninth Doctor adventures. And remember, it's released this Wednesday, the 8th of February. Oh, meanwhile, it's time for listeners' emails. That's right, and listeners' emails are every week. They're not just released on Wednesday, the 8th of February. No. And if you want to message in, you can. Just send them to podcast at bigfinish.com. God rest ye merry gentlemen and anybody else listening. First up, Aidan Charlie says uh, the subject here is, Sorry, John. Um, perhaps he's sat on John's foot or something. Um, Hi there, Nick and Benji. Hi there. Hi there. Last time I emailed in a more a mere curiosity about your opinions on canon within Doctor Who seemed to unintentionally get John Dorney in a spot of trouble. <laughs> After listening to the episode of the podcast released on the 8th of January and hearing another email come in on the matter, I thought we really should finally put it to bed. Nick said that he has not seen John Dorney's quote, so here it is. <laughs> Dropping him in it further. Yeah, I don't mean to be a snitch, so I'll allow the both of you to make your own interpretations as to what he meant here. I'm very, very sorry, John. It's actually only one very, but I added the second in. Um, almost uh, all of my top Big Finish releases are penned by Dorney, so I don't want to get him, to, him, him into any trouble. Too late. About to. Too late. I'm opening the link. Oh, I've seen it. Here we go. It says here, Mr. John Dorney, at Mr. John Dorney on Twitter, I write them, and I don't think they're canon. This is purely technical. People often confuse canon and continuity. A personal canon is impossible. It is that which is generally agreed to be true. And that's just the TV episodes. Brackets, all of them. He then adds, I would say you could call them canonical as in fitting with the canon. There we go. Um, I don't actually understand any of that, but there we go. 
Lisa McMullen says we should suggest this as a panel for Gallifrey. Oh, um, yeah, it's all. It's, it's, it just well, gets I'm sure that will be fascinating for all who attend. Well, there we go. You heard it from the Dawning's mouth there. Um, it continues here. It says, The listener who emailed in about the meaning of canon did spark another question in my mind, though. Mm. Oh, Aiden just chose violence today. Just came in here tearing the walls down. <laughs> um, with that definition saying that the TV show takes priority, it made me wonder which Doctor Who stories both of you would choose as one you'd wish could have been made as a TV episode. Um, it may not necessarily be the best story you've heard worked on, nor your favourite that you've heard or worked on. But what story would you choose if any Doctor Who audio could have been made as a live TV, uh, live action TV episode? Here, I declare not <laughs> to send any more controversial emails in the future. Good question. Uh, I don't really know. I mean, they're audio dramas, aren't they? I think they're, they're made to fit with the medium they're made in, so I don't really want to... I suppose, you know, at a pinch, I'd love to rework Dalek Empire as a TV series, and in fact did once. Um, so that that would be fun, but I haven't got any... I mean, I love I love them as audio dramas. I don't, I don't see that as any lesser than than a tv than telly episode. yeah, yeah. I suppose i mean selfishly for me I'd, I'd i'd actually say albie's angels just because it's got it's got some of my music in it so oh, i actually really that's an, it's got an like the little song doctor in it one, isn't it yeah it's an eighth doctor one with the weeping angels and it's got a great scene with the weeping angels on some ice mm. which i think would be brilliant for for um a visual medium oh, yeah that is but, very visual isn't it yeah. but but yeah you know I, I i quite like that just because it would give me a real kick to be the in the in-universe uh, Doctor Who band or music in some form. Oh, yeah, be really you could cool. be playing in the band. I could do, yeah. Maybe I'll be. That'd be my music video. I'll be, you know, I'll just be there in the background, <laughs> you know. But no, I would. I would like. I think that would be fun, you know. Mm. But I'm. I'm. I'm quite happy being the the in-universe big finish music person who's contributed songs in Survivors. Yes. Adam Avent. Adam Adamant. Um, and Doctor Who, just just in-world songs and music, so that's quite fun. Yeah, they are always fun, those. Just slip them in here and there. Yeah. Next up, Joshua Duffy sends in a, uh, an email. This is a listener's email, so why not? Uh, comic strip adaptations suggestions. Hi there, Nick and Benji, brackets. Hi, Hi there. there. Hi there. Hi there. Uh, I'm very happy to hear the comic strip adaptations have started to gain momentum, as I've always, well, not that much, uh, <laughs> always loved that that set, and I have fond memories listening to it uh, when I went on holiday to Portugal. Oh, very nice. Uh, for my suggestions, it's hard to pick which comics, because I did ask people to suggest, I would love to see adapted, because there's so many good ones. That's true. But this is what I would pick. I would pick The Dogs of Doom. Oh, yes, that's a Tom Baker one with the Daleks, isn't it? Amazing. The Tides of Time, Peter Davison one, is it? Did it start with Tom Baker, that one? I'm not sure. Four Dimensional Vistas, I don't know what that is. Voyager, the Voyager arc, I remember that. The World Shapers, Nemesis of the Daleks. Great bit of Lee Sullivan art there, that was. Uh, with Sylvester McCoy, I think. Uh, Emperor of the Daleks, I don't quite remember that one. Children of the Revolution, don't know that one either, do you? I don't, but I do remember The Flood, which is... Which you're about to read out. Yeah, what one was that then? I think that was with the Cybermen. Was it? I seem to recall. I, I seem to recall. I might. Which was, who was the Doctor in that? Um, it was, yes, I'm right. It was um, Paul McGann and they redesigned the Cybermen. Oh. And um, I remember that being quite a big deal. Who was the artist? Really... 
Good question. John Ridge, I'll be able to tell you right now. Um, the artist was um, For- Martin Geraghty. Oh, okay. Good. Um, didn't he used to have a band? Oh, no, that was someone else. Um, right. Uh, I know I might have picked too many suggestions. Not at all. Uh, but these comic strips are so good and they are also iconic. I would love to hear Frobisher and Sharon return and the audio debut of everyone's favourite Dalek killer, Absalom Dark. Uh, every damn stinking Dalek. Uh, here's hoping to the return of the comic strip adaptations. Sincerely, Joshua Duffy. Well, we get your message, Joshua. No immediate plans, but, you know, keep, keep these suggestions coming. We'll have a good old think about it. Well, we've got one last one here from Shane Williams. Uh, the message is as followed. Right. Dear Nick and Benji. Hi there. Hi there. Hi there. Uh, long-term listener, first-time writer from Down Under. Uh, listen to the last podcast, 15-1. Um, that's the date. That wasn't, that wasn't the result of the football. Uh, <laughs> and the teaser of 41. Uh, during the various sound bites involving Cybermen and Ice Warriors... I started to imagine the idea of monster mashups. <laughs> now, you may say I'm being very silly. You're being very silly. And I'm being very... Stop it. Stop it now. And if this email gets read out, I'll bet one or both of you did. Rather, to um, disappoint. But to quit uh, Cyber Ice Warriors, oh. or perhaps Weeping Autons, <laughs> or <laughs> even the dreaded <laughs> Sontarlics. <laughs> <laughs> Brilliant. Just imagine Dan Starkey on a ring modulator. Let's imagine that. Anyway, over to you, or not as the case may be. Love what you do, and may it long continue. Kind regards from the space year 2023. It's Shane. Thank you, Shane. I particularly appreciate your space year reference. Yeah, Sontarlex. Wow. I mean, there's no reason why uh, uh, Cybermen couldn't try and uh, convert Ice Warriors, I suppose. I love Weeping Autons. I was just doing it there, but that noise when um, when the Auton gun opens, it sounds rather sad, doesn't it? If you could just pitch it down more at the end, you go, <laughs> then that'd be a really Weeping Auton. <laughs> Listen, that's it for this week's emails. You're probably pleased to hear by now. We look forward very much to reading more next time. itself to offer you a 25% discount on a randomly selected Big Finish release. Incredible value. What did you say there? We'll also be teasing you with the first 15 minutes of The Colour of Terror, a nice Doctor adventure by Lizzie Hopley, part of the Shades of Fear release, out this Wednesday, the 8th of February. Wednesday the 8th of February, must note that down. But before all that, let's stick with the Ninth Doctor theme. Well, this is another ingenious script by the incredible Roy Gill, who has an imagination that knows no bounds, and uh, he's just created this incredible kind of pioneer world. I'm Roy Gill, and I'm the writer of this episode, Red Darkness. This is the second season finale I've written. There's a sort of pressure on to try and create something which is fairly exciting and high stakes i think and maybe even offers a a callback to uh, some element that you've set up or someone else has set up earlier in the season this finale is in some ways informed by 
choices I made for the end of the previous season. So that story was uh, fairly epic and had a lot of cross-cutting, uh, different threads happening, and this quite deliberately, I mean, it's a, it's a shorter story, it's a single-parter rather than two-part, but it, it's very deliberately focused right in on the Doctor and his band of friends. So it was very much something I wanted to do which would be hyper-focused on the Doctor and show him under a situation of increasing pressure uh, and stress. And I think uh, Chris is probably on nearly every page of this of this script. Vermeen and Vashta Narada together. Fused in the crucible of your experiments, Dr. Lennox. No. Creatures of shadows and of light. The power and the hunger. The development of this one was a fusion of a lot of different elements, really. I think my initial pitch was focused on the idea of this um, optics scientist who had been experimenting on different substances to come up with his new ultra-dense, ultra-black coating which was going to be used in her projects and had accidentally let loose some kind of elemental darkness monster or creature or something. and. Um, in discussion with Matt, I think he thought this might be a chance to reuse one of the popular monsters from the television, which is the Vashnarada. It was pure luck that I happened to have met Adam online about two years ago because Adam runs this really successful and uh, beautifully produced podcast about Doctor Who. And he wanted to interview me about my work with Big Finish. And as we were chatting, I understood that he had trained as an actor and he was working professionally as, a, as an actor. And obviously I could hear that he had a fantastic voice and a fantastic manner about him. And then right at the end of the conversation, he mentioned that he was visually impaired. And I just kind of registered at the back of my head. And then this part came up and I emailed Adam. I said, oh, have, have you got a voice demo? And he sent one through. And I thought, oh, he's great. He's absolutely great. So it was our very good fortune because not only was he right for it, he, he did such a good job today. I mean, really exceeded my, my high expectations. And that's always a delight. Hi, I'm Adam Martin and I'm playing Callan Lennox. I'm a tad bit of a of a Hoovian, as it were. So this is quite exciting for me. I'm an actor as well. It's a, but um, yeah, doing a job like this is just phenomenal. Um, when our lovely director Helen reached out and said, "Would you like to play a part?" It was a, it was an instant yes. It didn't matter what else was going on in the calendar. This was the one to do. And then to find out it was with um, Chris, the Ninth Doctor, was, I mean, unreal. Because I mean, that was he was my first Doctor Who. So to to perform with him was quite magical. Oh, I see. I don't. Not everything. I've partial sight. Close details, some colours. Faces, that's more difficult. Got it. So Doyle's your... He's my best friend. You don't need to feel sorry. Why would I feel sorry? You're clearly doing fine. I'm uh, visually impaired myself, so obviously playing a character with a uh, visual disability, well, was quite quite close to home for me. My, my vision's nowhere near as bad as um, Callan's is described in the story, but 
just that sense of because being a teenager you know you you, you want to do things yourself you want to find that independence and with visual impairment obviously that it becomes a bit more difficult naturally to do that and I remember being a teen when my eyes weren't at their best you know people obviously saying, oh let me do this for you let me do that and you want to be like no no I, I can do it you know I'm 16, 17, whatever it is, I can do it. So it's nice how Doyle integrates with that because I feel uh, Callan as a character has accepted that, you know, he, he does need some assistance in life, especially with his macular degeneration, but he's Doyle isn't just like a guide dog, as he's his best mate. It's what it's the first thing he says to the doctor when the doctor alludes, oh, is this your assistance dog? He's like, no, actually, he's my best mate. And that's what they are. So I, I like that bond they have, that he doesn't view him as like an aide, he views him as, as a mate. And I think... I like to think we, we get that come across. I guess I'm, I'm writing from the perspective of uh, my mum has uh, macular degeneration. She's partially sighted. So I, I know from being around her a little about what she finds difficult. That loss of central vision. It's a challenge for things like reading signs, reading displays, navigating unfamiliar places, identifying people's faces. These are things which a, a 21st century assistance dog wouldn't really help with but in the wonderful world of Doctor Who a talking dog um, that would be amazing I mean who wouldn't want a talking dog <laughs> I mean I suppose he doesn't give the doctor an easy ride he's hyper protective of his best friend but uh, I think by the end they've worked out a good accord with each other then we had Harky Bambra playing Doyle the dog and I'm sure this is the first and only time he'll play an animal in his career uh, <laughs> but he had this happy enthusiasm about him in his demos and you know I could I love the idea that Callan's dog has the same accent as Callan because the dog is obviously devoted to his owner and would be emulating his owner so that I think that worked really well. Hiya I'm Harky Bambra and I'm playing the dog Doyle. Your pal said there were teeth in the night. Yes. There are teeth. They are hungry. You're a spooky dog. You know that. But you love me, right? Always. <laughs> Once again, just go to bigfinish.com and type Shades of Fear into the search pane at the top to enjoy this terrifying tale. Whew. Any minute now, we'll be drama-teasing you with the first 15 minutes of The Colour of Terror. More terrifying terror from that terribly good writer of all things terrifying, Lizzie Hopley. Uh, but first, it's... The Randomoid Selectatron, where we randomly select a big finish release and offer you a 25% discount on it. Was your it's a bit canine then? I was, I was going for Monty it's Python, but it is a bit canine, you're right. It's canine. Oh, very good. <laughs> anyway, what have we got? Uh, an interesting one this week, yeah. textbook stuff. Oh. Classic horror, casting the runes and other uncanny tales. M.R. James, read by Andrew Sachs. Wow, this is rather good, yes. This is uh, Barnaby Edwards uh, has produced these and Andrew Sachs, the late lamented Andrew Sachs, who's uh, you know lovely actor. Done a fantastic job here with uh, music by Howard Carter. And casting the runes, funnily enough, um, it gets a little mention in something uh, that Benji's been working on recently for Big Finish, doesn't it? It does. The second, I, the second I saw it, I thought, oh, how bizarre that this comes up. Yeah. So maybe it's maybe it's uh, it's all meant to be. Yeah, it's it's mentioned in um, Space 1999. <gasps> we won't we won't reveal anything. Not meant to tell else. them. Yeah. Like oh, oh. you know what happened, and and also there was a film made of it. And do you know what the film was called, Benji? Uh. Yeah. Well, it's, uh, oh, I can't remember the name because I didn't know if it was actually a real film. It is a real film. It is a real film. It's called like something like The Attack of the Something Dog or something. 
Creature from Death. It's called Doom. Night of the Demon. Night of the Demon. Or, or, oh, or Night or of Attack the of the Something Dog. <laughs> Night of the Demon. Is that Hammer Phil? Um, I don't know demon. whether it's Hammer or not, actually, but it is, it is based on casting the runes. Is it really? Yeah, yeah. And there's that piece of paper that once you've touched it, it goes, and goes away, and then this big demon comes along and treads on you. <laughs> and what noise does a demon make? Oh, no, that's the Tyrannosaurus Rex from uh, Invasion <laughs> you know exactly. of the Dinosaurs. You, you knew what I was doing there. You knew. <laughs> you knew. But yeah, you can get uh, Tetwick stuff. It's a, so it's, it's a slightly different thing, but um, what a great opportunity to listen to some classic horror. Absolutely. May I give you this? I think it should be yours. Then he did actually hand you some papers. One chapter in particular struck me, in which he spoke of casting the runes on people. And from one of these, as he took it up, there slipped and fluttered out into the room with uncanny quickness a strip of thin, light paper. Well, it was pretty evident, of course, that he'd been chased by something, and people talked of savage dogs and beasts escaped out of menageries, but uh, there was nothing to be made of that. A mouth, with teeth, and with hair about it. And he declares, not the mouth of a human being. Because he knows a frightful fiend doth close behind him tread. You, sir, beg pardon, did the other gentleman show his ticket? What the devil do you mean by the other gentleman? The place on the East Coast which the reader is asked to consider is Seaborough. There has always been a belief in these parts in the three holy crowns. When I am dead and in my grave and all my bones are rotten, I hope the Lord will think on me when I am quite forgotten. Sometimes, you know, you see him. Sometimes you don't. Just as he pleases, I think. He's there but he has some power over your eyes. <laughs> Mr. Burton must have been either a very wicked or a singularly unfortunate man. It is the latter alternative which I incline to accept. M.R. James, Casting the Runes and Other Uncanny Tales. Read by Andrew Sachs. Visit textbookstuff.com to find out more. Um, so, uh, while I email Jackie Emery, content manager at Big Finish Productions, to inform her of our random selection, uh, so that she can set the offer live on the bigfinish.com website. Benji, would you like to remind people how to get this incredible 25% discount? I was going to say in the style of Sarah Jane Smith's haircut, but I think we've had such a <laughs> wide variety. What would you like to do it as? I mean, Captain Pugwash? We mentioned Captain Pugwash Captain as well. Captain Pugwash. I mean, that would be, be quite hard to do because there's so many different... I mean, it's mostly just nice narration and then sort of talking. Oh, there we you. go. <laughs> oh, up, up and down the, the man game plank, whatever it's called. Um, it's all very simple. I just sound like an old, just some stereotypical old bloke, don't I? Well, listen to me. It's all very simple. That you just go voice, to eh? bigfinish.com and hit to podcasts. 
Um, I was waiting for it to load there, even though I, know, well, I don't know why I'm doing it myself. I can, I'm quite capable of remembering how to do it. Just go to read more on the podcast page and in the blurb underneath the picture of two gentlemen without pirate hats on, you will get, uh, it will say, just click here and enter the code back up. That's B-U-C-K-U-P. Uh, enter it in and you will get your discount. Thanks, Ran. Well done. Next week's podcast is packed with Torchwood and the First Doctor. Torchwood's the last love song of Susie Costello, starring Indira Varma, international star. We're so lucky to get her. Well done to James Goss, the producer. And the Demon Song, starring our very own First Doctor, Stephen Noonan, who has had no other mentions in this podcast. Oh. Will he have got his technology together in time to appear on the podcast? I do hope so. I do hope so. Who knows? Also, we'll be reviewing the reviews of my third Doctor extravaganza, <laughs> The Annihilators. Thanks again, all of you, for listening. Just time to say this. As usual, the Big Finish podcast is presented by me, Benji Clifford, and him, Nick Briggs. Ahem. He also wrote, produced, and edited it. And both Benji and I did this for, for the, the love, love of, of stories. stories. And finally on the Big Finish podcast, the Ninth Doctor, Shades of Fear, The Colour of Terror by Lizzie Hopley. Excuse me. Hiya. Do you think you could uh, get one of those dresses down? The ones hanging up there? They're just for show. Oh, I could do it myself if you have a hook or something. Oh, we don't have a hook. Mm, I'd really like to try it on. They're red. Aren't you looking for... A wedding dress? Yeah. Maybe I'd like to surprise my fiancé. Mrs Bevel said don't touch the display. She likes to keep them up there, the red ones. Oh, it'd mean a lot. Or just that one with the net skirt. And if I buy it, well, it's a charity shop. Oh, I suppose. <laughs> Thanks. <coughs> oh, dusty. Changing room is that corner, behind the curtain. She a bit scary, then, you Mrs Bevel? Uh, she's a bit. I've not been here long. You OK in there? It's just I'm expecting her back and... <laughs> Hello? Are you... Are you... Oh, uh, yeah? told me not to touch them, the, the red ones. Robert, what have you done? Her, her feet have gone, under the curtain. I can't see her feet. Don't move. I'm only a few doors down. I'm on my way. It's happened, just like you said. It's making a noise, Mrs. Bevel. Oh. The dress is making a noise. Robert, don't touch anything. Mrs. Bevel. Put that phone down. Uh, I was going to call the police. A week into your first work placement and we're calling the police already? No, I... What? Keep a low profile and be a good boy. That's your priority. But she just vanished and the screams. Did you see the lady vanish with your own eyes? 
Did you see her wearing the dress? No. Then how do you know she didn't just leave the shop? Well, I didn't... Exactly. She put it on, looked a fright, and ran out to comfort herself with a cream bun. A stranger's self-esteem is not our business, Robert. Help me with the ladder. You're not putting it back up there. It's part of my display. Well, shouldn't we just burn them? We're adding arson to your young offender's record, are we? What? Perhaps this was a mistake. Puts us both at risk if you can't contain your criminal urges. My... This is the most popular charity shop in West Morbury. Four and a half stars on Charity Britain website. I'm not having a scandal over a scarlet frock. Lose me half a star. No, Mrs. Bevel. We'll have no hysteria, no talk of vanishing women, and absolutely, definitely, no police. I'm doing this for your benefit, Robert, not mine. Mrs. Bevel, I think there's something behind the curtain. For once and for all, there is nothing going on behind this curtain. I take full responsibility for the police box, but the dramatic curtain reveal? That was all you. I was about to ask you the same question. It's not every day the TARDIS detects a freak manipulation of electromagnetic radiation from a... junk shop? Junk shop? This is an award-winning charity retail centre. Is it? Most unusual item donated, 2017. Wasn't a quantum photon field, was it? Or a very, very large light bulb? No, and get away from my costume jewellery. What did you let him bring that big blue thing in here for? It's taking up the whole changing room. I think I'd have noticed the police box, Mrs. Bevel. I expected things to go vanishing around you, Robert. Had no idea you could make stuff appear out of thin air, too. Vanishing? <laughs> Stop creeping up on this! Get out of my shop! What's been vanishing? Have things been vanishing? Ooh, that's interesting. Your hair's giving off photonic radiation. Don't you point that thing in my face. So's this entire shop. I mean, most things do, but not usually enough to pull the TARDIS out of the vortex. Man's a lunatic. I'm talking dying sun throwing out planet-killing solar flares, freak manipulation of electromagnetic energy. What? Sounds to me like sudden a chance, do it. Who? Owns the calf next door, always pinching the Wi-Fi. Yeah, I should check out the immediate area. Good idea. Robert, lock the door. But his police box. Who says it is? But... Bet these things go for a fortune on the internet. Oh, they've got a private one in, have they? I'm sorry? Don't know your face. Don't know your face either, but I'm the doctor. 
Oh, like Dr. Watson. Got ya. I'm Pete. Pete Snow. One of your special instruments, is it, for DNA and that? Depends how explosive you are. Tell me, Pete Snow, where are we? West Morbury High Street. That a trick question? Don't suspect me, do you? And is this usual in West Morbury? A bus stop full of missing animal posters? Mm, he's at the moment. Dogs, cats, rabbits. He's mine, look, that big tabby. Missing for three weeks. Of course, I know where he's gone. Ginger, last seen in the chariot. Charity shop, there, see? Ah, Mrs... Bevel. Ginger couldn't keep away from the place for some reason. She kept chasing him with a broom. I usually sit here once a day, in case he comes back out. Or to catch her at it. Catch her at what? Oh, she's a weird one, and I'm not just talking crazy air colours. That shop's her life. No animals allowed, not even sight dogs. What kind of charity's that? Someone certainly has a problem with one particular hair colour. What's that? All these missing animals have red fur. Yeah, the radiation's definitely localised around the chariot. Uh, she's locked you out. Doesn't like men in leathers, see? And you be northern. Mrs Bevel, hello. I can see her bright scarlet head. She's pricing up that blue wardrobe. Hey, Mrs Bevel! Here's the lad, poor thing. He'll be wishing he were back in jail. Has anyone ever told you? Talk too much, I know. Live on my own, see? Oh, no, you're the most helpful person I've met in ages. Just remind me not to share any secrets. Robbie! She's double-bolted it. I'm to let no one in. We can't talk through a letterbox. Won't let me out, neither. I've not seen her like this. She's wired. Robbie, this entire shop needs to be quarantined. Quarantined? For what? There are some highly disturbing readings coming from this location and from Mrs Bevel. Open the door. I can't. She's not listening to anyone. Not even Mrs Chand. She just called accusing her of sabotage or something. Sadna Chand owns the calf next door. Well, she does now she's divorced. This calf right here? Where the screams are coming from? Blimey. What's going on in there? Robbie, get away from that door. What if she sells the wardrobe? Don't let her sell the wardrobe. I'll be back. Doctor, oh, wait for me. Good heavens, it's a bloodbath. Mm, not quite. What are you doing? Tomato ketchup. Get under a table. They're going off all over the place. Oh, my walls. Sadna Chand, pleased to meet you. I'm the doctor. How long have your sauce bottles been exploding? They're within their sell-by date, if that's what you mean. The doctor's on the missing animals case. Well. That's Mrs Tatum. She won't be back. This isn't your fault, Sadna. I'm Kath. I only popped in to see if she'd seen Marla, and it started. Is it just the ketchup? No other condiments affected? What are you doing? That's his DNA thingy. DNA? It's just tomatoes. Oh, it's definitely not just tomatoes. There's radiation in the plastic as well. There's no radiation in my plastic. Well, there most definitely is, although a weaker signal in here. <laughs> Plastic's hot. Energy transfer, maybe. Anything else affected? What about your earrings? My earrings? They're more orangey, I suppose. Different frequency. Sadna, I need to get inside the chariot. 
I knew it. It's that crazy woman's fault. This is way beyond the control of Mrs. Bevel. She plants false reviews on the internet trying to shut me down. Says the smells get through to her materials. The charity shop next door? Where Marla went? Who's Marla? My fiance. She mentioned going in there for a dress. We're on a budget, but I thought she was joking. Did she see anything unusual? I don't know. She's not answering her phone. Is there a way around the back? Fire escape or anything? There's a backyard. Our basement doors are next to each other. Excellent. Show me. We're not all going. If it's the last place Marla went. If Ginger's in there, he'll be scared stiff. <sighs> Try not to crawl through any source. Yeah, it'll stain terribly. It could do worse than that. Sadna, lead the way. There it goes again. A phone. Whose phone? That lady's. Give it here. Someone called Kath keeps calling. We've no idea whose phone this is, Robert. It could belong to our intruder with the buzzy gadget, for all we know. They can trace phones. Pass me that mug. That belongs to someone. We can't help it if they dropped it in our coffee, can we? I don't feel right about this, Mrs Bevel. That woman vanishing to nothing. That man appearing from nowhere and you keep scratching your head. That won't let me leave. Oh, oh it's the bleach. And I'm doing you a favour, young man. A woman vanishes and you take off. How suspicious is that? He's the dodgy one in the leather jacket jumping out from the curtains. Won't they see? On the CCTV. Hand me that ladder again. And a screwdriver. Did we all have to heave at once? The wood's rotten. It's not the wood, it's the paint. It's red. Is that it, then? Everything red is contaminated or something? In this case, it seems to have just moved and taken the wood with it. The woman's booby-trapped my shop and probably this basement. Mm, you should tread carefully, especially in those socks. What do you mean? Suddenly, your socks. They're scarlet. He's not serious. Collar's can't hurt you. Can they? Depends. If I'm right, there's a powerful energy source bleeding through your visible spectrum. I've no idea what or how just yet, but it's clearly attracted to the most dominant wavelength. Dominant what? Spectrum. You mean light? Rainbows? I mean light. Rainbows. Or a part of them, at least. Sadna, take your socks off. I'm not taking my socks off. There's nails and old paint pots everywhere. And probably rats. Don't come running to me when your feet vanish. Shall we go in? This is breaking and entering, isn't it? Oh, don't worry, I do it all the time. Ginger? Here, Ginny, Gin, Gin. It smells... See? This isn't food smell, is it? Thorman is all show at the front while her basement is rotting. Shh! That was him. That was my Ginger. Oh, he doesn't sound well. Ginger! I'd stop there, Pete. It's because we're all in here at once. He's terrified. Ginny, gin, gin. Just how ginger is ginger? Well, quite dark in places. Tawny, a bit, um, russet. Ginger, russet, scarlet. Back up, Pete. But the sauce bottles, they... This is crazy. The cat's not going to explode. Right now, we don't know what ginger's going to do. Did you hear that? What now, Robert? 
I think there's somebody in the basement. I don't know how you were ever a burglar. You're scared of your own shadow. I wasn't a... <laughs> there's somebody in my basement. Oh, okay. That was low on my list of expectations. He's fine. My heart's racing when he just leapt out at you like that. <sighs> I might take these socks off. That's what I'm looking for. Stairs. What are you doing in my... Oh, oh you again. Mrs. Bevel, I left something in your shop. Don't mind if I check on it. Wait, what is all this? He's a detective. I'm just looking for Marla. Sabotage my sauce, would you? What? All right, Robbie. What's going on? Who are they? Seems there's a lot of people wanting a word with the proprietor of this shop. Marla, stop this. Should we gather evidence, Doctor? Big finish for the love of stories.